Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and we have a lot of data to get to. We are going to be talking about the latest Census Bureau report looking at income in poverty in 2020. And yeah, not surprisingly, it was not good. And the housing shortage, which we have talked about and everyone's been talking about, you would think it would be getting better, but (laughs) you'd be wrong. It's actually getting worse. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but we're going to start with the big report that had everybody talking. That was the inflation data that yes, The numbers did move up, but not as much as economists were projecting. So many looked at it as a win and maybe proof that we could be seeing some transitory behavior of this inflation. That's the big debate, right? Is this inflation transitory? But, you know, one report does not a trend make. So let's talk about the report. The Consumer Price Index for August released yesterday. It found that month over month, the index increased 0.3% in August, which was actually slower, but obviously still prices were moving up. But it was slower than the 0.5% increase that we saw in July. And in fact, it was the lowest monthly increase since January. Now, year over year, the all items index increased 5.3%. This is the big number that everyone talks about. And that is a big number, 5.3% in August, which was actually 0.1% lower than what we saw in July. So prices, once again, are moving up but at a slower pace. That's what you want to see. This was actually the first 12-month drop since October 2020. We'll take what we can get. The core index saw an even smaller increase in August on both a monthly and annual basis. Month over month, the core index was up 0.1% which was a decent drop from the 0.3% that we saw in July, the smallest increase since March. And year over year, the core index was up 4%, down from the increase of 4.3% that we saw in July. Now, obviously, there are certain categories that get more attention than others, food being a big one because, well, we all need it to live. Food prices were up 0.4% in August, which was actually the smallest increase since May, but the year-over-year increase up 3.7% was the biggest increase since February 2012. So kind of a mixed report. Other important items include shelter, which was up 0.2% in August with a yearly increase of 2.7%. Energy was up 2% with a yearly increase of 25%. And apparel was up 0.4% for the month with a yearly increase of 4.2%. But there was one category that had a lot of people talking on Twitter, and that was used cars and trucks. Now, we've seen that number just skyrocket over the last couple of months. In fact, I was someone who had to buy a car recently, and I was terrified about going and buying one because I knew what was happening with inflation. I knew inventory levels were just had been decimated and it was going to be hard to find a good price. You weren't going to be able to negotiate. The dealers knew what they had. And so it was going to be hard to make any negotiation and used cars and trucks have just been up. Like I said, they've just skyrocketed. And for the first time since February, we saw a decline, a point, a 1.5% drop in August 
But of course, prices year over year are still up 31.9%. And while we're talking about four-wheeled vehicles, new vehicle prices were up 1.2% in August for a yearly increase of 7.6%. And transportation services fell 2.3% for the month, but are still up 4.3% year over year. So what was the analysis? Obviously, people took this as a good sign. A lot of people on Twitter saying, oh my gosh, maybe Jerome Powell is right. But there was also a lot of discussion about one report does not a trend make. And maybe we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket. Joseph Brusuelis, and there's no way I'm pronouncing that name right, said on Twitter, it is too soon to declare victory on this. It's going to be a bumpy ride back to anywhere near 2%. But as the supply shock eases, the Fed will likely get further relief going forward. Now, Neil Irwin over at the New York Times said he was pleased with the data, but he's hoping that it's not short-lived. He said on Twitter, the question now is whether the moderation in consumer price inflation will continue or if supply constraints and inflation expectations already baked in see the ppi surge in new york fed inflation expectation surveys will create a second wave of price hikes and we're gonna have to wait and see but this was a good report it did beat expectations that is something that you definitely want to see but no one is spiking the football just yet they are going to wait and see what happens because as i said and will continue to say one report does not a trend make but at least we had a good august let's hope september is just as good uh now i mentioned there was a census bureau report yesterday looking at income levels earnings in poverty, and not surprisingly, 2020 was a very bizarre year. So the median household income actually fell 2.9% from 2019 to 67,521 in 2020. The Midwest region actually saw the biggest decline, falling 3.2% in 2020. Now, despite a drop in income, Earnings were actually up 6.9% when compared to 2019. Full-time median earnings of men were up 5.6% to 61,417. And women saw a bigger increase of 6.5% to 50,982. Now, as I said... No one's going to be surprised by this. The poverty rate also saw an uptick in 2020. The official poverty rate increased a full percentage point to 11.4% in 2020. This was the first increase that we have seen in five years. So for five years, that number has been dropping in one year. Boom, that number goes back up. The report concludes that there are now 37.2 million people in poverty and approximate 3.3 million increase from 2019. But here's what's kind of interesting about this report. So you're looking at this, at least I was, and I was thinking, wait, earnings are up or you know, earnings are up, incomes down and how did poverty go up with all these government programs that are out there? Well, there's something that they track called the supplemental poverty measure. This takes into account many of the government programs designed to assist low income families. And that saw a big drop 2.6 percentage points to 9.1 percent that is the lowest 
that it has ever been on record. And actually the first time that that measure has been below the actual poverty rate. So that just goes to show you what was going on with government spending in 2020. In fact, they found that stimulus payments helped move 11.7 million people out of poverty and helped lower the supplemental poverty measure 3.6 percentage points. So without those stimulus payments, then we see a a much higher poverty rate. Now, unemployment prevented 5.5 million people from falling into poverty, and Social Security continues to be the most important anti-poverty program, moving 26.5 million individuals out of poverty. So the report, like the headlines were a little misleading because a lot of them were pointing out that, oh, look, the poverty number went up. But when you look at the supplemental poverty measure, you realize that, well, no, actually, when you take all these government programs into account, the poverty rate actually fell and actually somewhat significantly. And so a lot of the headlines that I saw out there were a little misleading, pointing to just income and the poverty rate, but not taking into account the supplemental poverty measure, which is always important. You got to read the report. Can't just go off of what the report or what the top numbers are leading you to believe. So actually, we saw the poverty rate fall in 2020. If But not for government spending, yeah, the number would have increased. And then finally, a story that I have to admit, I guess it's not that surprising because we're still doing, we're still dealing, I should say, with supply chain issues and we're still dealing with high commodity prices. But the housing shortage which we have talked about many times here on this program, is actually getting worse, according to Diana Olick over at CNBC. She she pointed to new research from Realtor.com that found that the U.S. is short 5.24 million homes, which is an increase of 1.4 million from the 2019 gap of 3.84 million. Now, of course, making matters even worse is the pace of construction. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, single-family construction is running at the slowest pace since 1995, even though it has been rising steadily since 2009. So yes, we are building more houses than we were 12 years ago, but we are still building them at a rate that is one of the slowest since 1995. That's not good. Danielle Hale, Realtor.com chief economist, said this was a problem even before COVID, something that we have brought to your attention before here on the podcast. Uh, She said, quote, the pandemic has certainly exacerbated the housing shortage, but data shows that household formations outpaced new construction long before COVID. Put simply, new construction supply hasn't been meeting demand over the last five years. And there's been some arguments this has been the case for 40 years. And then when you break it down and you look at, say, starter homes, it's even worse. The divide between demand and supply is much worse than the overall number. Now, it should be noted that the report also found that the U.S. Census Bureau found that 12.3 million American households were formed from January 2012 to June 2021, but just 7 million new single-family homes were built during that time. So 
Once again, this has been a problem before COVID, but because of what's happening with you know the mortgage market and rates dropping and all of a sudden all of this demand, people being able to work from anywhere, people wanting more space, the, the, the demand for single family homes just skyrocketing, it's really highlighted to a lot of people how bad the housing shortage is. But the bad news, it's getting worse. <laughs> it's unfortunately getting worse. All right, now dropping today, just to give you a little heads up on what's happening later this morning at 7 a.m., we're going to get mortgage demand and rate data from the Mortgage Bankers Association. I almost said Freddie Mac. That's Thursday. We get mortgage rate data from them. On Wednesday, it's mortgage rates and demand from the Mortgage Bankers Association. I got to go. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.